Okay, today is definitely the most special dedication I ever got. And anyone who's ever dedicated will not be insulted when you hear what, why I feel this way. Today's class is dedicated by my father and mother, oh. Rabbi Michael and Molly Haber, um, who I love and admire, look up to, learnt everything from, and hope that every day they're proud of me. I still do. I feel like I'm still six years old, hoping that my mommy and daddy are proud of me. And still listen to them, and still get calls from them, and still take their advice in every way, and every shape, even though I'm a grandpa already, but I don't think it ever ends. Amen, yes. Dedicated in memory of, and you're going to like this, in memory of my grandfather, Charlie Sue, Alava Shalom, Shaul Ben Chana whose yard site is, 14th yard site is tomorrow. So, to just say a minute about my grandpa Charlie, uh, thank God I got a chance to see him. He passed away when I was in my 20s, um, so I, upper 20s, so I saw him for a long part of my life and was really, really, really close with him. And then all of a sudden, one day woke up and realized that almost everything I'm doing imitates him. Working with the youth and the future of the community, trying to inspire the community, loving the community. So, he really is like an image and a guiding light in my life every single day of how we treated people, and how we valued people, how we loved our community, how dedicated he was to making sure the future of the community is, is of growth and strength. And he was such a powerful and strong and dynamic person. Yeah, I agree. He was, I, I didn't say enough just now. If it wasn't for him, it could be there'd be none of us. That's correct. So I agree. That's the right way to put it. But I don't want to be too biased. He's my grandfather. I don't want to sound like it's just... But really, the love and admiration that I have for, for Jiddo Charlie is, is, is unbelievable. I passed by my uncle's house the other day, and he turned on a little of Gene Autry, and it gave me a little bit of memories. And some person listening to this class in, like, Montreal is going to say, Gene Autry, Rabbi, you listen, just don't ask... It's hard to explain, but my grandpa Charlie was really, and, and Jiddor was, was, was everything to us. And so it's a great, great, great honor for today's class to be dedicated by my parents in memory of my grandfather. You look like you're ready to give the class. Here's what I'd like to talk about today. People who get... A lot of attention. If we look around in our world, there are people who get a tremendous amount of attention. There are celebrities who have in the tens and maybe even hundreds of millions of followers. Maybe it's not 100, maybe it's 180, 90 million followers on Twitter or whatever social media account they have. There are people who stand up and get watched on TV by millions and millions and millions of people from people that are actors or superstars or singers. And even that seeps into our community. There are people inside of our community who get a tremendous amount of attention for sometimes things that are not so good and even sometimes for things that really are good. They'll give large donations, they have a lot of money, they have a lot to give, they have a lot to offer. 
maybe even there are rabbis in our community that get a tremendous amount of attention, that are almost under the category of celebrities a little bit in this community. And so all of this, to me, has some good, but is not so great. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. How the people we give attention to, and whether our models for attention, and our paradigm for attention, and our weight system of who gets attention, is it appropriate or not? What do you think? You think it's good? Good class. Well, I didn't give the class yet, so you don't know if it's a good class. It's a good topic. Oh, relax. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, again, we have this recap thing. It's called speechrecap at gmail.com. Whoa, what was that? Speechrecap at gmail.com if you want to get a little text recap of the class. So now I'm going to read to you a Mishnah Bekavod. We're moving along in the chapters. We did chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. We're up to now chapter 5. The last statement in chapter 5 is a very famous one. I believe everyone in this class has heard the statement before. Ben Hehe Omer. The rabbi named Ben Hehe says, Lefum Tsara Agra. According to the pain is the reward. That's his statement. According to the pain is the reward. So here's the first question. The first question is, that's a very Aramaic sounding statement. The Fum Tzara Agra is very Aramaic. Most of the Mishnah is not written in Aramaic. Why is this written in that language? My second question is, what does it exactly mean according to pain is the reward? You might know what it means, but I'd like to give a little bit of a better and deeper explanation. And my third question is, who is the author of this class, of this speech, of this Mishnah? The man we have is a rabbi named Ben Hehe. Have you ever heard of Ben Hehe before? You heard of Bimeir, Shabongan, Leon, Biakivar, Biudai. You heard of those people. You never heard of Ben Hehe? What is this? So I want to begin by telling you a Gemara. This is not a very famous statement. But the Gemara writes in this one line that God appeared to David HaMelech and said this. If you were Shaul, and he was David. Again, if you were Shaul and he was David. I would have destroyed many Davids in order to get to Shaul. Again, this is a little bit, you know, they have tongue twisters, this is a little bit of a brain twister. If you were David, if you were Shaul, and he was David, I would have destroyed many Davids in order to get to Shaul. What is this statement? What's Hashem saying? Again, we know that Shaul was king for a couple of years, and did a few things that Hashem wasn't happy with, Hashem removed Shaul and brought David as king. Says the God to David, if it would have been the other way around, if you would have been him and he would have been you, I would have destroyed many Davids to get to Shaul. What is this? So here's Rashi's explanation. Rashi says that you were born with one mazal, he was born with another mazal, which means you were born with some characteristics, and he was born with his characteristics. If he was born with your characteristics, he would have been, if he was born, I'm messing this whole thing up, if he was born with your characteristics, 
then he would have been something great. If you were born with his characteristics, you would be nothing special. And this is my point. If you, David, were born with Shaul's characteristics, you would be nothing special. Get that. That's the key point of this statement. If you were born with his characteristics, you would have been nothing special. What does this mean? What this means is Shaul was born with unique talent and unique ability. Shaul was a man who was great, who was righteous, who was pious. A lot of it by nature. So that's why God said to Shaul, you have this all naturally. You make a mistake, you're not excused. David was the opposite. David was born with a very tough nature. David was born with a nature to kill and to be aggressive and to be tough. And so therefore, the only reason you're great is because of the nature you were born with. Does that make sense? I may have confused you, but if I did, still stay with me. If you were, if you were born with his nature and you just turned out to be this, you would not be special. The only reason why you're special is because of the nature you were born with. What means, this means, and again, I myself don't feel like I'm explaining this well right now, but I will make this clear in this way. The only reason why you're special is because you had to overcome challenges. If you didn't have to overcome challenges, what you are is not statistically so great. But what makes you great is the fact that you had to overcome challenges. Shaul was not considered as great because he didn't have to overcome those challenges. So therefore when he made a mistake, I said that's it because he didn't ever have the strength that you need to show. I hope I'm clear. My point is very clear. That what makes us great are the challenges we overcome. What makes us great is how much we have to fight our nature. What makes us great is how much we have to go against our momentum. It's not the accolades, and it's not even the hard work. It's how difficult that work is. So if you take someone who's a famous singer, and they'll say, oh, I worked very hard to get here. Yeah, you worked very hard to get here, but all the momentum was with you. You were getting attention, you were getting focused on, you were getting paid, you were getting successful, famous. So, of course, you kept doing what you're doing. Don't tell me you worked hard. I know you stayed up all night. Anyone would stay up all night for the pay and attention and fame that you're getting. That doesn't make greatness. What makes greatness is not splashing accomplishments, and what makes greatness is not even hard work. What makes greatness is when the work is painful and difficult, when it goes against the grain, when it goes against your nature, when the momentum is not with you. That's where greatness is. As the Havetz Chaim says, he says, if someone studies Torah when they feel down and low, their Torah is a hundred times greater than somebody else. I feel this all the time. You'll see someone who gets hundreds or who's a genius and you study Torah. That's not a great accomplishment. You're great at it. Anytime you study, you look great, you sound great, everyone's impressed with you, they're ooing and eyeing. That's not a big deal. Oh, I stayed up, I worked hard. That's not hard. It's not hard to do something that gives you a tremendous amount of attention. But be someone who doesn't think well, who has to labor over reading three lines of Gemara and still doesn't get it, and his confidence is low, that person is great. Even though their accomplishments are much less, that 
person is great. What made David great was not his accomplishments. What made David great is his ability to go against his nature. His ability to fight himself and to be that kind of person even in the pain. Let me give you David, the Hafez Chaim's Mashal. He gives an analogy. He says there was once a, a man who lived, a simple man who lived in a village. Never came to the city and never came to the town. One day he came to the city. And they show him in the city, they show him different stores. The first store he sees is a store that sells flour. He sees sacks and sacks of flour piled from the floor to the ceiling. Tons and tons and tons of flour. He then goes to the second store. And they show him a second store. This store sells wool garments. So they have, you know, piled up shirts and pants and skirts all piled one on top of each other. Many, 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 many. Then he goes to the next store. And the next store is selling linen garments. This store has one at a time hanging on a hanger, specifically, perfectly. Then he goes to the next store, they sell silver. This store that sells silver, they have like one piece, a few pieces of silver on each shelf. And then he goes to the last store that sells diamonds. And he sees that each diamond has its own case. So he goes back home and he tells the people back home, you had to see the stores back there. He says, what? He says, they had a store that was piled with so much stuff. It was full of flour from the floor to the ceiling. The guy who took him says, that's the store you're talking about? The one with the flour? He says, yeah, there was so much of it. He says, all that flour and ten times the amount doesn't equal one diamond in a shelf in the last store you saw. The greater it is, the more unique it is. So yes, when someone has a small accomplishment, but it's hard, and it's, sometimes they feel low and down and in pain, that accomplishment is so much greater. It's so much greater than all the flour piled in the store, than all the accolades. So much greater. So much. The problem is that we, the world, doesn't recognize and appreciate it. I like to say this all the time. You know, people have heroes. Do you have any heroes? People have heroes. People have, they'll have pictures on the wall. There are people who have singers that are on their wall from when they were kids. There's people who have ball players on the wall. People follow heroes. People read books about their heroes. They'll read about the life of their heroes after they pass away. They'll read magazines that talk about all the junk that their heroes are doing right now. People have heroes. Rabbis also have heroes. Who do you, I don't know what other rabbis' heroes are. I know who my heroes are. So you think rabbis, right? Some people would say it was rabbis. Other people would say it's uh, people who are very religious or people who are very influential or people that are powerful that could get you places and get things done for you. Nice, all those people are nice. They're not my heroes. I'll tell you who my heroes are. I made a list of my heroes. Well, my parents are my heroes. Yeah, I agree. But that's not... I'll tell you who my heroes really are. My heroes is a boy who's 16 years old, whose parents are going through a horrible divorce, who is doing everything in his power to overcome the negativity and stay believing and faithful to Hashem. That is my hero. 
My hero is another kid who some reason grew up in a family who went through a divorce many years ago and it's still horribly contentious in court. And the kid himself doesn't, isn't so smooth socially. So he kind of gets people commenting and making fun of him almost all the time. Yet he still wears his tzitzit and still believes in Hashem and still hopeful for his future. My hero is a woman whose marriage wasn't great for a very long time. And people told her, her friends, her sisters told her, it's over, the guy doesn't even earn any money, you're selling your house, you can't afford, he's not even such a great husband, he's not home so much, just end it. And she said, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to do whatever in my power to keep this going. And I know my marriage may not be as great as other people's marriages look, but it doesn't matter. I am holding on to this marriage, and today it's better than it was. Maybe not perfect, but better than it was. She is my hero. Greater hero than somebody who learns Gemara 18 hours in a day. Greater hero than someone who stands in front of audiences. That's not a hero to me. This is a hero. My hero is someone, a young woman, who's somehow her husband lost his job and then got another job and both of these jobs were never enough and then he lost that job and now he's out of a job for a while and he's kind of working and making some money. She has no idea how much he's really making or not and they're struggling and it's embarrassing and it's hard and she stays loyal and respectful to her husband. She is a hero. Way greater hero than some singer who gets up in front of 50,000 people yelling and screaming. This woman is a hero. My hero is a woman who goes to this class, whose husband got sick and then passed away, and who stayed with tremendous emunah and belief in Hashem through the whole process, and watched, and I came every week and just said, I know Hashem has a plan, and I'm watching Hashem, and we trust Hashem. That person, without any fanfare, is a, he is my hero. My hero is a father who all of a sudden realized that his son is very religious, and his son's starting to learn. And he's like, I, I don't know what this is. Why is my son doing this? And now he's learning in Kalel. And now all of a sudden I'm supporting him. And I'm not even sure if I believe in this. But I know he's doing a good thing and I'm going to support it. And a man himself who was barely religious at the time, who said, I'm going to support my son as he goes because I know he's doing something good. And I'm going to stand behind him and I'm going to protect him against all the comments of all the brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and family members. And I'm going to allow him to do what he does. That man is my hero. My hero is a woman who was supposed to go away for, for the holiday uh, to Florida on Pesach and she had a funeral that morning and so she, her husband and her family went ahead and then she realized that her fly was pushed off that was supposed to be at Pesach in the afternoon and it was going to land on the holiday. Now, she has people back there pressuring her, just come, it's okay, don't worry, you're not driving the plane anyhow, someone else is driving the plane and she said, you know what? I'm not coming. And stayed here with her son for two seders without her family, feeling stuck and lost. That person is a hero. My hero is a man in the community whose wife got Lou Gehrig's disease 20 years ago. And he found a way to have the strength and the confidence to stay and to give. And he does a tremendous amount of chesed, an unbelievable amount of charity. And his attitude is always great. And he comes on to a wife who's in a wheelchair, who can barely function and can barely move. And his attitude and his chesed and his giving, never once does he sit in the corner and say, why am I stuck with this? He just moves forward. That is my hero. 
My hero is a young married woman who has a husband who's studying Torah all day and all night, whose mother-in-law is sick, whose father is sick, who's finding a way to manage them all and still give our husband the health and support. That's my hero. My hero is a young girl who all of a sudden realized that the person she was married to was not someone it's possible to stay married with and had to get divorced before her child was even born and took care of that child with love and care and strength and looks great every day and goes out every day with confidence and belief that Hashem is going to find her the right one when the time comes. My hero is a woman who's 40 years old, over 40 years old, and still not married, who was once in a room and someone stood up and got up and made some kind of speech and said how Hashem has somebody for everybody and it's just a matter when the right time is for you, that you earn it. And this woman was so hurt, she got up, walked out of the room in tears, and then came back in and apologized. That woman is my hero. Because there's no momentum behind that lady. There's nobody encouraging that lady. There's nobody cheering for that lady about how great heroic acts. She's going home at night lonely and by herself and questioning her existence and questioning how Hashem is even running this world and why am I so alone, yet she's still trying and believing every day. She is a hero. Can I keep going? My hero is an older brother who started a business. And then his brothers took over that business and somehow he had to leave the business. They made a zillion dollars and he doesn't have much. Or doesn't have nearly as much. Yet he still talks to his siblings and is still peaceful in his family. That's my hero. My hero is the mother of a boy who became addicted to drugs. And she does everything in her power to strengthen him and encourage him. And she raised a beautiful family. But this son is what he is. And she sent him to rehab. And she supported him. And she brought him back. And she supported him. And she's hopeful. And she's praying. And she's keeping the son in the house. And she doesn't know how it's going to turn out. Now you all think, or most people think, that the hero is the mother who stands at that graduation and watches her son march down the aisle as a valedictorian. That's the hero. That's not a hero. There's all the momentum in the world behind you. You did barely anything for that kid. Not nothing. You worked hard, but nothing that's really... Not like this. You didn't cry all night and worry where your son is going to be next. That's beautiful. Maybe you're a great parent, but that's not heroic. I could keep going, but I'm not going to. I want you to realize the, what is matters and what is valued and what is not? What is something that we look up to and what is not? And when we look up to people, even people who do good things, but those good things are not heroic just because they get attention. Being a rabbi who stands in front of on a stage and has 500 people in the room, that person's not a hero. That person's not a celebrity. It's easy to do that. Even though it takes a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of preparation, it's still easy to do that because you have all the momentum in the world behind you. A man who gets up at the Sefer Torah and gives a $52,000 donation to a shul, beautiful, beautiful. Everyone gives him a zakah baruch, they sing for him till he gets to his seat. It's unbelievable. That's not a hero. It's wonderful. It's not heroic. I'll give you a little story. Midrash says, by the way, it's hot in here. Am I right? The door is not helping at all. Can we see if that thingy works? 
Let me tell you a story. I don't know if another door is going to help. I'm worked up, so I'm high, you're saying. I got you. You know why I'm worked up? I'm worked up because all the time, everywhere you go, you see people get a ton of attention for things that are not a big deal. And you see the people who do things that are really a big deal who get no recognition for what they're doing. And it bothers me all over the place. And that's what I mean. I could literally go on for another 10 minutes of more and more people that I know that fit in these categories. No one makes them a celebration. They don't get honored at dinners. They don't get awards for what they do. 95% of the time, the person who's getting an award is not a hero. Is not a hero. There's someone sitting in the back of the room who's the hero. Often. That's the case. So I'll tell you the story. There's a great rabbi. His name is Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta. And the story is a little mystical, but don't get caught up in the mysticism, as always. Get caught up in the lesson. Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta was very, very, very poor. Very poor. He and his wife lived on nothing. But one day, he goes to the... It says, some miraculously, he goes out to a field and finds a diamond that he got from heaven. He takes the diamond, trades it in, tries to get, gets a lot of money, and buys for Friday afternoon, he buys some food for Shabbat. He comes home, he brings food for his wife. His wife says to him, Honey, where'd you get that money from? He says, It doesn't matter. She says, Where'd you get that money from? He says, It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. So it's my business. She says, I am not eating it until you tell me where it came from. He said, Okay, I'll tell you where it came from. It came from heaven. She says, after Shabbat is over, take that diamond and give it back. He said, what are you talking about? We just got money miraculously. She said, give it back. I don't want it. So they go, she, he says, uh, it doesn't make sense. Let me go ask my rabbi. He goes to ask Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the author of the Mishnah, a great rabbi. Rabbeinu HaKadosh says, tell her not to worry because in Olam Haba, if she's missing anything because of what she took here, I'll fill it in. The husband comes home. Now he's armed. He went, his rabbi, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, said, don't worry about Olam Haba. You'll get Olam Haba because if anything's missing, I'll fill it in. He comes home, tells his wife. His wife says, you know what? You come with me. We're both going back to that rabbi. She tells the rabbi, says, you think Olam Haba, you think all of our tables are next to each other? You think you're going to be able to fill ours in? No, no, no. You keep, that, that diamond is going back. You're getting your Olam Haba, we're getting ours. The rabbi says, she's right. He gave back the diamond, went back to heaven. Now what it means, how he got a diamond from heaven is not the point. What's she talking about? What's she saying, this lady? Give it back? This, is there a lady in this room whose husband would come home with money that would say, give it back. Raise your hand. <laughs> Good, I didn't think I was going to have any hints. No one says, give it back. What does this mean? Give it back. What does it mean? And now I got everyone cold? What does it mean, give it back? So listen to what, listen to the explanation. Do whatever you want. What's the, uh, I, I'm only one person, so I, I, as long as everyone else is comfortable, it's what matters. What does it mean? What does this mean? What does the story mean, give it back? The answer is this. That Rabbeinu Akador said, don't worry about your Olam Haba. She said, you can't help me with Olam Abba because you, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, he was known to be a very, very, very wealthy man. So she said, you may get a great portion of Olam Abba, but you never could fill in my portion because my portion is someone who's doing it in pain. 
My portion is heroic. You can't fill in my portion. Why does this matter? Why does it matter who's a hero and who's not? Why are we even giving a class on this subject? And I want to give you three reasons. Here's number one. Number one is when you look around at people, how do you value other people? Who are the people you're excited to hang around with? Who are the people you like to drop their name? I just spoke to that person on the phone. Who are the people? Most of us, it's people with power, wealth, or fame. That's how most of us respond. That's how most of us are excited to be around. Yet the Gemara says, there was once a rabbi who had a little vision in heaven. And he came back and his father asked him, he said, what do you see in heaven? He said, I saw... Olam ra'iti. I saw a world that's upside down. The great people that down here are on bottom up there. The people that are on bottom up down here are on top up there. His father said to him, Olam baru ra'ita. You saw a clear world. Now what's the Does anyone think that someone who's just because they're famous is going to be great in Shemayim? No, the answer is this. That we think that people who are famous for their good things are going to be great in Shaman. And the moral of that story is even those people are not necessarily on top. Even the biggest rabbis, even the biggest donors, even the biggest chesedurs are not necessarily on top. What do you mean? They do a lot of good. I know that. It's a lot of flour. It doesn't compare to this one diamond who's standing alone, single mom, taking care of two kids by herself and figuring it out every single day and giving her children faith and belief in Hashem even though everything is going against her. It doesn't compare. So even though this person does a lot of good, even that person is not on top like that person is. That's the point. So when you see people, how do you value people? Who do you respect? Who do you admire? Who do you get excited to hang around? Is it the people that are up over here? Or the people that are going to be up over there? This is a critical question because most people are excited about powerful, influential, wealthy, famous people. That's who we're excited about. That's whose name we like to drop. That's who we can't wait the wedding to go to or a trip to go on. Those are the people we got excited. That's how most human nature is. It's backwards. Even though those people are good. Don't get me wrong. Those people are good. But they're not heroic. Because they're going with the momentum. It's heroic to be able to stand strong when you're going against the momentum. I'll tell you another story. This happened only a few years ago. There's a rabbi named Moshe Shapiro, a great rabbi. Anyhow, there was this man in Israel. He passed away recently. There's a man... His name was Shmuel. Shmuel, his name is. Man, was, life was great. Got married, children. Everything was fantastic. Then he had some kind of medical issue in his 40s. And the medical issue made him lose his job. And once he lost his job, obviously it took a hit on his marriage. And it was harder for him to raise his children. And life was really tough. So someone told him, you should go to this Rabbi Shapiro and get some encouragement. So he goes to Shapiro. This Rabbi gives him a blessing. And gives him chizuk and encouragement and strength. Beautiful. Man goes home, he's struggling every day. He's struggling to hold his marriage together. He's trying to put food on his table. He's trying to raise his kids, keep his kids in yeshiva. He's doing his best. So finally one year, now it's Purim time. He says, you know what, I'm going to go back to Rabbi Shapiro's house. A lot of people come to his house on Purim. I'll go back to his house. He goes to the Rabbi's house. He's standing in the back. He's a humble guy. 
And Rabbi Shapiro, who is a mystical rabbi and deep rabbi, gets up and starts speaking. He usually says great words. This was actually the last Purim of his life. There's hundreds of people in the house. He gets up and he says, one day Mashiach is going to come. And there's going to be all people here. All people on the line. And then he points, he says, and there's a man in the back. Everyone turns to see who the man in the back is. They see it's Shmuley. He says, there's a man in the back. He says, Shmuley, you're going to be on that line. You might be at the back of the line. And then the Mashiach is going to come to you and he's going to say, what did you accomplish to get here? Other people are greeting the Mashiach because they have thousands of dapim of Gemara. Other people are greeting the Mashiach because they have thousands of hours of chesed. Other people are greeting the Mashiach because they have millions of dollars of donations. What did you do? And the rabbi said, you're going to look Mashiach in the eyes and you're going to say, I'm the one who brought you here. Because that accomplishment is way more heroic than the other. But there's a second reason I'm giving you this class. The second reason is because when you're in a situation that's difficult, yourself in your own life, you often get frustrated. You get frustrated by being stuck here. But yet there's a fame, very, very famous Rashi where it says, Vayeshev Yaakov, Yaakov sat, and says Rashi, Bikesh Yaakov Lesheb Shavah, Yaakov wanted to sit in tranquility and harmony. He had a long, tough life. He wanted to sit and relax. He had already lost his wife. He already was challenged with his father-in-law for over 20 years, was challenged with his brother for many, many years. He said, it's time for me to sit and relax. And Hashem says to him, you think relaxing is for this world? Relaxing is for the next world. And right away the story of Yosef happened, which is another 20 years of challenge. So the commentary said, do you think Yaakov wanted to sit and relax because he wanted to retire and go to his vacation home? Or do you think Yaakov wanted to sit and relax in order to serve God in a pure, greater form? Where Yaakov said, if only I could have peace and quiet, I could study, I could connect, I could build my faith and love for Hashem. And Hashem said, that's not what this world is about. It's about the challenge. It's about finding the gold in the pain. The pain is where the greatness happens. So if you have frustration in your life, that's your chance for heroism. That's your chance to be great. You think, no, 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 no. My chance to be great is if my kid is great or if I do something fantastic, I get a contention. No, your chance to be great is right there where it's painful. Yaakov's greatness was in his toughest moments. David's greatness was in his toughest moments. Your greatness is in your toughest moments. So when you're stuck somewhere, this is your opportunity for eternity. I'll give you a little example. I went to the Holocaust Museum a little while ago. They have a new exhibit on Auschwitz. Now, it happens to be that that exhibit needs, is very well done. They forgot one thing. Hashem. Everything else is done very nicely. But Hashem, for some reason, they forget that He was involved in it. No stories of faith or anything like that. But it's very, very, very well done. The images, the videos, the footage, the people, the talking, it's great. At the end of the whole exhibit, you see a blanket. A blanket in this box, in a loose side box, a blanket. What is this blanket? This blanket, they tell you the story of this blanket. This blanket was in Auschwitz. And it was grabbed by a boy whose name I can't pronounce for perfectly. Siegfried Frederid, something like that. Siegfried Frederid 
was a 24-year-old tailor. I believe he was blind. A 24-year-old blind tailor. And he grabbed this blanket right before the death march out of Auschwitz. What is the death march? 60,000 people went on a march for days in the freezing cold and starvation. And if they sat down, they would be killed on the spot. That was the death march. What makes this blanket so special is he grabbed the blanket and used it for himself and four other people. And they tell the story there that in this death march, he would take the blanket and wrap it around four, five people in total. And they would wrap the blanket. That becomes a blanket that we save for generations later. There are billions of blankets in this world. Billions. Almost every living being has their own blanket. Nobody's blanket is going in a loose side box. You know whose blanket's going in a loose side box? A person whose blanket comes out of pain. So when you have an area of frustration in your life, and you're like, I could really be a good person, I could really be a happy person, I could be an upbeat person, I could be a giving person. If only this area would be removed from your life, you're missing the boat because that's the area that has the gold. That's the area that one day that piece of your life is going to be in the loose side box. Not something that's spectacular. Not when you make a holiday meal that has 50 kids there, whatever, children and grandchildren, and everyone's ooing and eyeing over your steak and your roast. That's not getting you toy. That's not the great Olam Haba. That's nice. You get it. It's beautiful. But you want to know where greatness is happening, heroism is happening. You know what's going in the loose side box? The area of your life that has frustration. And the third and final reason, and I'm going over time, but the third and final reason that I think is most important of why we give this class is because you need to know what to value in yourself. Because the world tells you, you know, you're so good looking. The world tells you you did a beautiful job on your house. The world tells you, wow, how spectacular is that dress. The world tells you, oh, look at that meal you made. And there's a part of you that says, I really did a great job just now. You need to tell yourself, this doesn't matter. This is not going to be in a loose side box. How good looking I am is not relevant to what's, going to re what's really valued and not. How famous and how powerful, that's not going to get, make it to the box. You know what's going to make it to the loose side box? The part that people don't know about. The time when I had to bite my lip in a conversation with my spouse that I had an easy response and I didn't, that's going in the loose side box. The time when I had to humble myself to somebody that it didn't make any sense that I'm humbling myself to, but I knew it was the right thing to do and I did, that's going in the loose side box. And no one's giving you big accolades for that. No one even gave you a compliment for that. So this is very confusing because what the world is complimenting you about is usually not that important. It doesn't have that much value. And the things that people don't know about are the things that are so important and so valuable. You in your head have to have the right metrics. You have to have the right thermometer. You have to have the right balance. You have to have the right equations. You need to know what really matters and what doesn't. Because the world is giving you a system that's off. The world is complimenting you on things that aren't so special and not saying a word about the things that are heroic. So the reason we're giving this class is for these three things. When you talk about who you hang with and who you're with, who do you respect for real? 
Number two is when you're frustrated, do you recognize how much power is in that area of your life? And number three, when you're complimented, are you confident enough to know what really matters and what really doesn't? Usually, people's compliments are off. Usually, people's compliments are about external things that there's a lot of momentum with it anyhow. If I look great and I dress up great, it's easy for me to do that. If I'm a very talented singer and I sing for special children and I get up in front of a thousand people singing, it's great. That's not heroic. I did it for free. Beautiful. Still not heroic. Because heroic is when it's against your nature, when it doesn't feel easy to do. That's when something becomes powerful and heroic. That's when it becomes great. I'm well over time, so I'm going to conclude. But in our minds, we need to have clarity. Because the world is a confused place. The world is a place that you get a lot of attention. If you do something crazy or exotic or out there, you can have thousands of followers. There are superstars who no one even knows what they did. Maybe their father owned a hotel or something, or... They just have a last name that became famous in all over Hollywood for no reason. And the world values those people as if they're something. And the world values actors. The world values famous politicians. The world values singers. And even in our community, the world values people that are powerful, that are famous, and that give big donations, or rabbis that give big speeches. And I'm here to tell you, that although some of those things are really good and will get rewarded in Olam Haba, they're not heroic. It's the mother who's holding her marriage together on a dime with kids that are struggling in school that gets a compliment if she's lucky once every six months because every area of her life is frustrating who somehow wakes up in the morning and prays to Hashem with complete faith and finds a way to bring happiness in her home that one is a hero. No one says it, but in the world that's clear, it's going to be clear. So, when you go through your life, look around and look at what matters and what doesn't. What's valuable and what's not. What's heroic and what's not a big deal. Thank you.